Good afternoon. Good to see you. Good to be with you. And I look forward to meeting each of you. I've met a few of you. Some of you are part of a sister church in our area in Pennsylvania, so I recognize some of you. But I'd like to meet all of you. So, uh, my name is Brandon Byler, and on the count of three, I'd like you to shout out your name so I can meet you, okay? One, two, three. Nice to meet you. (laughs) I live in Pennsylvania. And I've been looking forward to this Bible school for probably at least a year and a half. When Brother Earl asked me to come, it did not suit last year. And so this year has arrived. That's great. My family, unfortunately, were not able to come along. And so I will give you a pictorial um, view. As uh, somebody has said, that is not my wife. That's just a picture of her. Um, Now, there's my wife, Heather. And we have four children. Uh, Caitlin in the front there is six. Hudson is four. Megan just turned three. And Brittany that I'm holding just turned one. And we live close to the Shippensburg Christian Fellowship Church. If you're familiar with where that is, it's close to Chambersburg, south central Pennsylvania. We are house sitting for my... uh, for my brother-in-law and sister-in-law who are in Ireland. And so we are um, members there at Shippensburg Christian Fellowship. As far as my work, I work on a construction crew for a River Brethren fellow. How many of you know what the river or who the River Brethren are? Okay, probably 70%. Um, Great people. I really enjoy them. The whole crew is River Brethren. There's five of us on the crew. And... Just an excellent boss to work for, Matt Myers. Uh, He allows me off for things like this. So can't ask for any better boss than that, right? And uh, my wife and I have been married for almost nine years. In June, it'll be nine years. I got married a little later in life. I am 43, and I pastored a church for 10 years as a single man. So as a single person, don't say I can't do anything. There's plenty that you can accomplish. Now, if you sisters try to pastor a church as a single woman, that may cause some problems, but (laughs) there's lots that you can do. Okay, I would like, and why is the lights blinking? Is it something I'm doing? Are you doing it? Oh, okay. All right, just trying to help me out. Thank you. Okay, everybody stand up. I would like to find out who the long-term attendees have been. So if this is your first Bible conference, sit down. Okay. If this is your second conference, sit down. If this is your third conference, sit down. If this is your fourth conference, sit down. If this is your fifth conference, sit down. We just lost all the guys. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Have you been here? Is this your sixth time, the three of you? No? Seventh? Okay. And what is your name? I'm sorry. Lydia. Wow. You get the honors for longevity. Um, So we're going to interview Lydia with just one question. What do you like about the Iowa Youth Bible Conference? 
Okay, great. That is a lot of course practicing. Okay, good. My sense, my feeling, my thought is that uh, when you leave here, what you will take with you are the songs. They just have a way of sticking in our minds, right? And uh, you have some great songs that you're singing, you're singing this year. All right. There is uh, an ancient man. His name was Dr. Jacob Chamberlain, and he was a missionary to India in the 1800s, into the early 1900s, so late 1800s into the early 1900s. And he was involved in medical work, and he used that as a means of reaching the Indian people. And apparently early on in his ministry, he was traveling through the nation of India with four national comrades of his. Uh, They were going through the city of Hyderabad, and they had various gospel booklets and religious literature that they were planning to sell to people at a low cost. And as they were making their way through the city, uh, there was a mob that was incited against them. The uh, Muslim fanatics and the Hindu zealots uh, stirred up a mob of people against them. And the way they did that was uh, one of the scripture portions that they had was bound in a cover that had a yellowish-brown or a yellowish-pink color. And the Islamic zealots spread the rumor that the books were bound in pigskin, which, as you probably know, Muslims will not have anything to do with anything related to pigs. They wouldn't make it very well in Iowa, I guess. And uh, the Hindu fanatics spread the rumor that these books or booklets were bound in calf skin. And as you well know, cows are a sacred animal to the Hindu people. And so both of these groups were greatly agitated, and they started to press in against Dr. Jacob Chamberlain and his associates that were with him. And they began to tear up the cobblestones with which the street was paved in order to to stone the intruders to death. Now, if you were in Dr. Chamberlain's shoes, what would you do? What would you do? What would I do? What he did ties somewhat into our study. Before we go on to that, I want us to jump into... You have on your sheet there, is anybody missing... A map. Okay? I need an extra map. On the back of that map, you have a quiz. Feel free to jump into that and start working on that. I'm going to give you six minutes to work on the quiz, and we will go over what you know about 1 Samuel. This is a closed Bible quiz. Sorry, this is what you know, not what the book beside you helps you out with. (laughs) No cell phones, of course. No Googling, no. I would play music or something, but some people find that distracting. 
I, I would talk, but some people find that distracting. Silence could be okay, but then some people find that distracting. What should I do? Should I juggle hymn books silently? Just so you're not confused, this is not the personal quiet time reflection. How's it going? Any confusion? Any questions for clarification? You can do it. I have confidence in you. Anybody want to raise your hand if you're done? All right. A few honor honor roll students. Please don't allow this quiz to put you into the red zone that Brother Wolf talked about. But then again, don't treat it um, in that top zone either with uh, careless, no need for wisdom.
Okay? Yeah, let's do thumbs up. If you're done. Okay? It's not a majority yet. I wasn't sure what to do. You know, six minutes? Is that long enough? Is it too long? <clears throat> hate, to, hate to drag it out, but you hate to go too fast and rush people. <laughs> hmm, the penalty if you got one wrong. Fortunately, we believe in grace here. <laughs> uh, this is an exercise that's supposed, it's supposed to help you see how much there can be learned about First Samuel. So it's more about self-awareness, and maybe you know all the answers. If there's some you don't know, that's okay. There's some I wouldn't have known if I had not studied. There's lots more that I still don't know, and I didn't put the questions on the quiz. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one... That's it. Oh, I thought maybe there would be a timer go off or something, like a buzzer. Okay. Let's get back to where we were. Okay. Is that where we were? No. There we are. Okay. This is on your honor, so we'll just run down through, give answers, and you mark off what you got right, what you got wrong. We want to find out how you did. Okay, number one, how many chapters are in 1 Samuel? Give me the answer. 31. C, 31. Two, how many verses are in 1 Samuel? 810. I know, this is a lot of guessing here. I tried purposely to make this as difficult as possible. Number three, at the beginning of Samuel, the center of religious worship was Shiloh. Yes, D. Four, Samuel's home was Ramah. See, somebody has been in this class before. <laughs> Good job, Kylan. Five, how many siblings did Samuel end up having? D, five. Six, the events of 1 Samuel span approximately how many years? And, of course, if you get this one, you probably get the next one. But it is B, 115, uh, best as we can tell, of course. And then number seven, in what approximate time frame are the events of 1 Samuel located? So uh, if you have a guess of between 1045 and 925, count yourself correct. Um, the specific answer I'm looking for is 1010. So approximately... 11.25 to 10.10, but I'll allow 10.45 to 9.25 uh, BC. Uh, two wicked brothers are named. This is number eight. One is Phineas, and the other is? Hophni. Thank you. Hophni and Phineas. Number nine, the Ark of God was captured in 1 Samuel chapter four. Four. This is why we're studying 1 Samuel this week. Ten. True or false? These are great because you've got a 50% chance of getting it right if you're not sure. True or false, the Philistines had six principal cities. False. They had five. Five. 
True or false, Samuel had two sons. True. Yeah, we've got to have at least, you know, something that's true on here. Twelve. Who was the first king of Israel? Saul. Yes. Finally. One that we can, we can do. We can do this one. Number 13. The story of Goliath is given in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Where's Joshua? He should have gotten this one. <laughs> anyway. Joshua was, uh, he was David several years ago. Okay. Number 14, true or false, David tore off a piece of Saul's robe. False, he cut it off. I'm being a little bit tricky there, but uh, come on now. Details, they matter. They're in the scripture for a reason. Okay. 15, Saul died on Mount Gilboa. Thank you. Gilboa. And then just for some extras, how well do you know the book of 1 Samuel? How well do you know the main characters? Um, some people would say there's three main characters. I'm going to say there's six that we should at least know about. Uh, give them out to me. David, Saul, Samuel, Jonathan, Eli, that's five. Let's not leave the sisters out of this. Hannah. Okay, thank you. So in order of appearance, Hannah Eli, Samuel, Saul, Jonathan, David. Okay. Now, for fun, uh, how many of you got, uh, how are we going to say this? How many of you got them all right? Stand up. Okay. If you only got one wrong, stand up. We won't count the bonus ones, okay? Don't worry about the six names. How many of you got... All but two. All but three? I feel like I'm interceding for Sodom here. If there be four righteous. <laughs> All but four. We have four people. All right, let's give them a hand. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Okay. What's the point? What I'm trying to encourage you to realize is there's a lot for us to know about individual books of the Bible. You know, there are people out there in the world that know all kinds of statistics and details about football players and baseball players. I think it's okay for us to know details and statistics about God's holy word. So I'm encouraging you to think about, you know, we're talking about Bible study. Seems like that's the, much of the theme today. Uh, to be thinking about that. Now, when we think about Bible study or mastery, which one should come first? Is it Bible study or Bible mastery? There's a man named um, James Gray, and he wrote a book quite some years ago. He lived back in, again, mid-1800s to early 1900s. Uh, uh, died in 1935. And that's him there. Um, he would argue that Mastery needs to come before study. And what he means by mastery is that it's valuable for us to, to engage with a book of the Bible until that book becomes our own. In other words, we know what that book is about. We spend enough time reading that book from front to back until we feel like it's part of our DNA. 
And what he says there is he says in, in this book, he says, reading the Bible through is good. Okay, that's, that's a good thing to do. But there's no way that we can master the Bible. Even if we read the Bible through 20 times, we're not going to master the Bible. But it's possible to master individual books of the Bible. And so he was talking about how he met a, a friend of his whose life was revolutionized because he felt like he had mastered the book of Ephesians. And the way he did it was he was out one Sunday in the country to visit family, and he had had a pocket edition of the book of Ephesians, and it was a nice day. He decided to go out and sit under a tree and read through this book of Ephesians. And he read it once, and then he read it again, and he found that as he read it over and over, it really captivated his attention. And he read it through multiple times until he felt like it wasn't that he was in possession of the book of Ephesians, but Ephesians was in possession of him. <laughs> he knew the book. He had a handle on the big picture of that book. And so this so impacted James Gray that he also began to engage in this sort of, of study or mastery. And so what he's saying here in his, his work, which you can get it on uh, digitally, uh, is that it is helpful to think about doing that with, with a book. And not necessarily a big one. First Samuel has, of course, 31 chapters. And that's going to take quite a while to read at one sitting. But to start with a, a book of the Bible, four chapters, you know, six chapters, something that you can read in one sitting. And get to a place where you feel like uh, you, you know what it's saying. And it was through some thoughts like that, reading about James Gray, that... I started to think about camping out on 1 Samuel. Now, I'll confess, I did not just sit down and read it through over and over, okay? <laughs> I think it's about two and a half hours at a normal reading pace to read all of 1 Samuel. But I did read through it many, many times over the last probably seven, eight, nine years. And so I don't claim at all to have mastered it, but I feel like I have learned so much from it, and I'm very, very passionate about it. Um, one of the things that really uh, made me passionate as well was a commentary by Dale Ralph Davis. He's not part of our um, religious heritage at all. He's Presbyterian, but he wrote a, an excellent little commentary, very accessible, very interesting, and in, it encouraged me to delve more deeply into, into 1 Samuel. So why 1 Samuel, besides the fact that it's an interest of mine? Well, let's say you don't have any interesting commentaries. That's fine. Um, the thing that is special about 1 Samuel really is this element. The fact that it has so much narrative for us to consider and to learn from. One of my concerns about Bible stories, especially Old Testament Bible stories, is that I'm concerned that we have these stories in Sunday school and we hear about them, and they're important. It's good for us to hear about them as little children. But then how often do we revisit them as young people, as adults, and really delve into some of the details surrounding those stories? I'm concerned that we lose a lot of that, that we just sort of, well, yeah, I know about David and Goliath, and I know about Samuel being called by God and, and things like that. But do we really drill down and learn about some of the details that are there. And they're there for a reason. It's not accidental. It's not um, God has given us what he's given for, for a purpose. So um, 
Stories are huge in this culture in which we find ourselves, of course. That's why movies do uh, phenomenally like they do, why people are so engrossed with their digital devices. Uh, That's why even companies are using cereal boxes and everything pretty much to sell a story or use a story to sell a product, okay? You're just mindlessly or happily buying this product off the store shelf and, oh, I got a story on the back about how this is helping whoever or this is regenerating the earth or uh, why are they doing that? Well, it's for sales and it's because people buy into a story. Um, And God is a God of stories. He's been writing stories since probably before creation. (laughs) Um, And so we see that uh, Jesus was uh, someone who told stories. The Holy Spirit is still writing stories today. And uh, stories are those things that, that really do captivate us. So this brings us back to our true story about Dr. Jacob Chamberlain. Here he is. He's up against the wall, literally, in Hyderabad with four of his uh, native uh, helpers. And the Hindu and Muslim fanatics got the cobblestones in their hands, and they want to stone them. What would you do? What would you do if you were in that situation? Well, what Dr. Chamberlain did is he told them he would like to tell them a story. And that's what he did. He told them the story of Christ, the story of the gospel. And they uh, were very intrigued. The Indian people, like most people, like stories. And so it induced them to put down their stones, to listen with great curiosity. And it says that there were tears in many of the eyes when Dr. Chamberlain finished and he was able to distribute every copy of the gospel that he had brought with him into the city that day, eagerly bought up, not just by the people, but by the priests as well. And so it's wonderful to think about how God works through the power of stories, and he's still doing that today. And that's what I think is special about First Samuel. Obviously, there's things like First Kings and Judges that are also narrative uh, books, A good question to ask is, why is this book in our Bible? And a follow-up question, what would we miss if 1 Samuel were missing? What if we grew up without 1 Samuel? What if we didn't have 1 Samuel in our Bibles? What would we be missing out on? Obviously, uh, a lot of things. You remember that leading up to this book, Um, There is the little book of Ruth, but just before Ruth is what? Judges, okay? So you have the period of the judges, and now we're coming up to this period of time with Eli and with Samuel. So the, the purpose of 1 Samuel is to explain how Israel transitioned from that point of judges or that experience of judges to monarchy. How did that happen? Well, it wasn't an easy time. Um, It was actually a very difficult time, a very rocky time. And so that's the purpose for 1 Samuel in our Bibles. Obviously, we didn't have that book. We wouldn't know anything about Hannah, really, or Eli, or Samuel. (laughs) And a lot less about David, and uh, very little about Saul. So, to relieve your mind, I'm not expecting us to master 1 Samuel this week. 
We're only going to look at, Lord willing, the first seven chapters, which is a complete unit in itself. Okay? It's a self-contained um, narrative section, even though it's part of the uh, bigger book. And if you were to read that in one sitting, those seven chapters would take about 20 to 30 minutes. So that feels a bit more doable than two and a half hours. When it comes to Bible mastery, Bible study, I'd say there's a very important rule, and that is don't read or study alone. And I'm not talking about getting into your prayer groups. (laughs) What I mean is that as you approach the Scripture, take the time, even briefly, to ask God to open up to your understanding what you're about to read. Uh, To read with the Holy Spirit. It's phenomenal that we have the very presence of the author with us to help explain what he intended. So let's do that right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. I thank you for each of these young people who are investing a significant part of their life in this youth convention. I pray that you would direct our thoughts, that you would help us to understand what it is that you have for us here in this first part of 1 Samuel. Thank you so much that we have such ready access to the written word and to the accounts that you have preserved for us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our minds and our understanding, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A big book like 1 Samuel, and incidentally, you probably know that First and Second Samuel were originally together. They were one book. It was just the book of Samuel. But because of length, it was split into two books. It's helpful to have a bit of an outline to get a handle on the overall book. And I found a very simple one that's so helpful. Uh, Eli and Samuel make up the first part. Samuel and Saul make up the second part, chapters 8 to 15. And then Saul and David make up chapters 16 to 31. I'm not uh, wanting to encroach at all on Brother Larry's uh, teaching, but uh, when he was sharing this morning, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I was planning to to share a little, too, about how to look at the Bible or how to to study it. And I think it won't be competition. It'll be uh, completion. It'll be um, sharing some, some other thoughts. I had a preacher friend who has now gone on to to glory. A number of years ago, he told me that he he thought that every preacher, every minister, should have a general idea of what is in each chapter of the Bible. Meaning, just offhand, what's Luke 13 about, generally? Well, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but his challenge, I think, is a good one, and not just for ministers. I think there is value, if we're going to master a book, to think about, as we are reading through this book over and over, to assign some sort of a chapter title for each chapter as a way to get a hold of the book and allow the book to get a hold of us. So I'm just showing you... What I've done here with the first uh, seven chapters of First Samuel. This also gives you a bit of a map for where we plan to go this week. 
uh, I have another acquaintance of mine who has also done this, and he tries to keep his chapter titles to five words or less, and he tries to take it directly out of that chapter, word-for-word scripture. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't tried that, but it um, just depends on um, if you wanted to go, you know, Little League or Olympics or whatever. Um, so first chapter, Hannah asked God. Second chapter, worship, wickedness, and warning. And if you're familiar with chapter 2, you remember that this is where Hannah's prayer is preserved for us, uh, her praise, her worship. It's also where the unnamed prophet comes to Eli and gives him warning um, because of the wickedness that his sons were engaged in. Chapter 3, we've probably heard this one several times, many times maybe in Sunday school over the years, God calling Samuel. Chapter 4, the ark is taken. The ark is taken. You're probably familiar with that. Number 5, chapter 5, God defends himself. Chapter 6, the ark comes home. And chapter 7, revival under Samuel. And then what's chapter 8 about? Well, study for yourself. But it gives you an idea of how to go about doing something like that, just to get a sense of what is in each chapter of this book, whatever book it is that you have chosen to to attempt to master. And I'm sure you can come up with different chapter headings than these or better ones, that's, that's fine. Whatever it is that is personal to you that helps you to remember and to learn what is in a portion of Scripture. When we're thinking about a book of the Bible, especially narrative, it's helpful to think about what the setting is, what is the context. And so it's good to have some sort of a sense of the time frame. I have this timeline here. You'll recognize and see that that box, that golden box, represents a very small part of the overall scope of history. And if we stuck our little life in there, um, you know, my 43 years or your 18 years or however many, that'd be a really tiny box. Um, it just gives us some perspective on, on the history and on how much time elapsed in this, uh, approximately how, many, how much time in these 31 chapters here. Like we said, it's about 115 years from 1125 to about 1010 B.C., it's also good to take into, well, here's another uh, chronology. Uh, you can see the various judges that were in leadership. You can see where Eli comes in there and then Samuel. Obviously, these chronologies are somewhat speculative, but they can be helpful for us to, to get a sense of uh, various things about the Bible. One that's really interesting is this one here, Jonathan being born in 1067, give or take, and David being born in 1040. How many year difference is that? 27. I think of Jonathan and David as contemporaries. That doesn't sound like contemporaries. That sounds like uh, Kylan and me being buddy-buddy, you know? I'm almost 27 years older, maybe maybe older than that, than Kylan, I don't know. Anyway, um, but the friendship they had, the connection they had, when you recognize the age difference, it should give us even greater appreciation for Jonathan. 
and what he was willing to give up for the sake of David. Chronology can help us. Geography is important. Where are we? Well, somewhere up there. Uh, my Iowa geography isn't real strong, so I hope I got my pointer right there. And uh, where did that take place? Obviously, it's in the Middle East. Uh, let's pull it in a little bit. And, of course, we recognize you probably have seen maps of Israel. You have one on the back of your uh, pop quiz there. It's a long, skinny country, uh, very small, um, much smaller than Iowa, even though it starts with an I, just like Iowa. Um, it's amazing how much has happened in that geography um, for as small as it is. And um, so we're looking at a good bit of what's going to be in that box, some of it surrounding that box there on the map. When we're looking at Scripture and trying to learn various things about it, it's good to ask ourselves about uh, what it is as far as what style is it written in? Is it poetic? Is it apocalyptic? Is it narrative? Uh, is it genealogy? Is it prophetic? Asking ourselves those questions. Uh, it's good to ask ourselves, what if there were no chapter or verse divisions here? Uh, obviously, those things are helpful for navigating, but uh, they can also throw us off track. The Psalms, of course, are given to us in individual units. So it's not Psalms 3, it's Psalm 3. And it's good to study individual Psalms. Um, but as far as units, how do we know where the writer's idea starts and where it stops? Because the verses were added long time after the text was written. Chapters were added long time after the text was written. What sorts of things did the writer have available to him to, to signal to us, this is where I'm starting and this is where I'm ending. I'm, now I'm beginning a new thought and now I'm ending that thought. Now I'm starting this third thought and now I'm ending this third thought. What, what can we look for as markers and identifiers in Scripture? There's something called inclusio. I know it sounds like a $10 word. It is. But in the Hebrew and Greek language, especially in Greek, you would not have had the, the markings available or the punctuation like we have today with English. So uh, here's an example of inclusio where the writer will start off with a thought. In this case, it's Proverbs 1, 1 to 2, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction. Where does that section end? I mean, we obviously we know that chapter 1 has an ending and then starts with chapter 2, but... Is there a unit of thought here in this? Well, in verse 7, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So that's an illustration of inclusio, where you have wisdom and instruction at the beginning, and now wisdom and instruction at verse 7, indicating a complete unit of thought. So that's something to look forward to. If you look at, as you're reading Scripture, and you see a word, or you see a thought, and then you see it again, it's possible that's a complete unit of thought that the writer is offering. There's different kinds of structure in Scripture. There's linear, and that's probably what we're most familiar with, and we typically we preach linear, too. 
Um, not sure quite how to do anything else, but so an example of linear is X 17.1. This is A, B, C, D. That's linear, A, B, C, D. So when they had passed through A, Amphipolis, and B, Apollonia, they came to C, Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. That's, you'll find linear often in narrative, but not always. Um, this happened, and this happened, this happened. There's also parallel, parallel structure where you have A, then you have B, then you have C, then A prime, B prime, C prime. Illustration. In Psalm 19.1, A, the heavens, B, declare, C, the glory of God. A prime and the firmament, B prime shows, C prime, his handiwork. You see that structure there? It's a beautiful thing. It really is very beautiful. Um, there's a tendency for some to look at the Bible and think it's kind of jumbled, it's kind of messed up, it's kind of it's chaotic. And where is the structure around here? There is some phenomenal structure in Scripture. In fact, pretty well all of Scripture. Um, and this is not uh, even my favorite. I like parallel. Parallel is very helpful for contrast. It's helpful for amplifying things where it says something and then it explains it. Um, there's various kinds of parallel that the writers use. The third kind that is my favorite is the symmetrical, the chiastic, or uh, a chiasm. And that is where you have A, B, C, B prime, A prime. Whoa. How do you do a structure like that? That's pretty phenomenal. These people that lived way back in the Old Testament, in the ancient times, before Jesus, they had some amazing structure. Let me give you an illustration uh, actually, first of all, there are two kinds of chiasm. There's even chiasm, and there is odd chiasm. So if you have an even number of points, that's, that's even chiasm. Odd number of points, that's odd. So if it's an even chiasm, the emphasis is on the first and last points. So if you have you know, A, B, C, C prime, B prime, A prime, then uh, A and A prime are the emphasis. Whereas if it's A, B, C, B prime, A prime, the emphasis is on that center point, typically, okay? Um, so, we have an illustration of this with Jesus. He gives us an even chiasm in Matthew 6, 24. A, no one can serve two masters. B, either he will hate the one, C, and love the other, C prime, or else he will be loyal to the one, B prime, and despise the other, A prime. You cannot serve God and mammon. Do you see how A and A prime, B and B prime, C and C prime match each other? That's pretty amazing, okay? But even more amazing than that is this. What was Jesus emphasizing in this verse? By giving this even chiasm, what is his emphasis? No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Impossible. That's the emphasis. In 1 Samuel, we have an odd chiasm. And these things are all through, all through the scripture. Um, so, and this is looking at 1 Samuel 1, 1 to 2, 11 as a complete unit of thought. You can have smaller units, you can have bigger units. There are entire books of the Bible that are arranged chiastically. And it probably explains why sometimes when we read books of the Bible, we think, they talked about that already, you know? Why are they talking about this again? Why are they bringing it up again? What's, uh, there might be a pattern there that we're not aware of. Okay, so 
A, Elkanah and his family go yearly from Ramah to Shiloh. That's 1, 1 to 8. B, Hannah's sad prayer, 1, 9 to 11. C, sad conversation between Hannah and Eli, 1, 12 to 18. D, turning point, 1, 19 to 23. This is an odd chiasm, okay? So the emphasis is on that third point. What happens in those verses? C prime, happy conversation between Hannah and Eli, 1, 24 to 28. B prime, Hannah's happy prayer, 2, 1 to 10. And A prime, Elkanah goes home to Ramah, but Samuel remains in Shiloh. So you see that also includes you there, the reference to Shiloh at the very beginning in point A and in, in A prime to Shiloh, a complete unit of thought pointing toward D, the turning point in 1, 19 to 23. Isn't that amazing? I love symmetry. So you can buy entire books on the symmetrical layout of, of Scripture. Okay, things to overlook. When you're looking through, reading through the Bible, there are some things to overlook. And there are things to observe. What to overlook? Overlook chapter divisions. I'm not saying you shouldn't care about them, okay? I just got done saying it's helpful to have a chapter summary for each chapter. But realizing those came many years after the text was written. Overlook verse divisions. They came even more years after the chapter divisions. Very helpful for us to make sure we're all on the same page, so I'm not dissing them at all. Um, chapter and verse divisions are very helpful. Passage headings. Oh, this gets my goat sometimes, but yes. Passage headings are even newer within the last probably, what, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and some of them can really lead us astray. So, you know, take them with large grains of salt. Italicized words, especially, you know, you're using the King James, New King James. This is very helpful because the translator is signaling to us this exact word is not in the original, but we are, we're supplying it to help give the sense or to give clarity on what these words are saying. So, again, we're not bashing the italicized, but we're just realizing, oh, this is added by the translators. We need to be aware of this. And study notes. I like study notes. I read study notes, but it's not scripture, okay? can be very helpful, but can also lead us way off into the weeds, uh, so things to overlook, things to observe, repetition of words. We talked about this. Is, it a word, is there a word that keeps coming up? Um, for example, uh, the use of the word hand in 1 Samuel, it keeps coming up. Uh, there is a chapter in 1 Samuel that talks a lot about the Ark of the Covenant. Which chapter is that? Also observe the uses of God, Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, and also capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and also Lord of Hosts. You're probably aware that the all caps Lord is God's name. Yahweh, or uh, that's the best that we know to pronounce it anyway. So that's good to be aware of as you're reading scripture. First and last you, you, uh, word usage. When's the first time a word appears? When's the last time it appears? Uh, what's the word order? Um, yeah. The King James would say, here am I. The New King James would say, here I am. Uh, the polite American would say, I'm here. And the uh, pop culture American would say, here. So anyway, pay attention to word order. Think about uh, the meanings of names. So names that have Jah, like Elijah. Typically that has a connection to Jehovah, to God. 
and that can be interesting, helpful, inspiring. El, El, Elijah, hmm, Elijah, two, two references to God in his name. Samuel. Um, Daniel, just so many that use that. Also, Ab um, means father. Um, Abiathar, Abinadab, Absalom. Uh, it's good to, to have that. Also, Beth. Beth means house. So there's a, a place in first thing I'll talk about Beth Carr. There's Bethany. Uh, various places that use Beth. Uh, that's just a small sampling. Okay, any questions? It's been great. Really enjoyable. Looking forward to this week. And trust that we will have a good time together. The reason for this is the theme of this conference is delight thyself in the Lord. I think that God delighted to give us details. Therefore, if we're going to delight ourselves in the Lord, we will exercise our desire to dig into some of the details of 1 Samuel 1-7. to All right. Thank you for your attention. Appreciate it.